Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. Well, it's that time of year again, for those listeners in the Northern Hemisphere at least. With Labor Day behind us, and the school year officially begun, that brings its own unique set of horrors. For most of us quote-unquote adults, that means wading through morning traffic, getting back into the grind after a few months of long patio lunches, early Fridays, and days off enjoying your favorite summer retreat. But don't worry. While your summer road trips might be fading into memory, we've got plenty more stops along our own journey, even if they are decidedly less sunny. This week finds us in the state of Massachusetts. More specifically, the city of Gardner. Turning onto West Broadway, there's one house that immediately stands out from the rest. As we pull up to the curb and park, there's no question what kind of a visit we're here for. The old Victorian architecture, complete with dormers and turret, give the mansion a quintessential haunted house look. But standing on the sidewalk, looking up at it, that feeling of foreboding runs deeper than just its appearance. It makes your chest feel a little tight, and your mouth feel a little drier. There's an energy from the house, an energy that raises goosebumps on your skin and causes the hairs on your neck to prickle. Climbing the steps, you enter through the tall front doors, and while no one appears to be home, it's immediately apparent that the house is anything but empty. It feels occupied, busy. The house is even more beautiful inside than out, but despite its pristine state, having clearly been recently renovated to echo its former grandeur, 
there's a heaviness in the air, a weight of history pressing down upon you, a history with substance, a history with eyes and teeth. The house was originally constructed by Sylvester Knowlton Pierce, a self-made business tycoon and well-respected leader in the community, the owner of a hugely successful furniture business, one that even contributed to the city of Gardner earning the nickname of Chair City. But with his tremendous success and notoriety, Pierce decided he needed a home more befitting of his stature. So, in 1875, Pierce began construction on a mansion across the street from his furniture business. At nearly 7,000 square feet, it was no small job either. Even with 100 workers, it took a year and a half for construction to complete. But the final product was a masterpiece, featuring 10 bedrooms, 5 for the family and 5 for servants, and intricately crafted details, from the impressive marble fireplaces to meticulously hand-carved railings and moldings. Once the long wait to complete construction was over, the Pierce family, S.K., his wife Susan, and their young son, were excited to move in. I can imagine what a house like that would have been like for a young kid. So many rooms to explore. So many unfamiliar little nooks and crannies to discover. But the excitement and joy wouldn't last long. Just weeks after moving into the home, Susan was hit with a bacterial infection, an infection that came on fast and violent, and after just a short battle with the mysterious bug, she died. Her passing left the first smudge of darkness on the house that would eventually begin to spread. After taking a year to mourn the loss of his wife, Pierce met and married another woman, Ellen, thirty years his younger, and they had two more children. But, as fate would have it, it wasn't long before Pierce himself passed away. Despite the death of their patriarch, things were relatively calm after that for the remaining Pierce family, for a while. And it wasn't until Ellen died many years later that things began to take a darker turn. The boys, now grown men, bickered constantly over the mansion and the furniture business. Each wanted a bigger piece of the fortune for their own. But when the Great Depression steamrolled the business into the ground, it was S.K.'s youngest son, Edward, that ended up gaining ownership of the mansion. In an effort to recoup some of the family's dwindling fortune, Edward turned the home into a boarding house. But desperate times and unsavory characters quickly caused the house to fall into disrepute. Drinking, gambling, and prostitution were common, and the dark smudge on the home began to grow and fester. One night, after a typical evening of drinking and card-playing in the parlor, one patron decided to take one of the house ladies up on her services. He stumbled upstairs with her and into the red-painted bedroom on the second floor. But partway into their activities, he suddenly lashed out in a drunken rage. He grabbed her by the throat and strangled her to death in the bedroom, dumping her limp, naked body on the mattress, 
before wobbling his way back downstairs and out into the night. She wasn't the only one to meet a violent end in the home, either. In 1963, an immigrant named Eno Sari was boarding at the house. He had traveled from Finland in search of his own fortune in America. Late one night, the other residents of the house heard screams and smelled smoke wafting out from the master bedroom. They knocked on the door with no answer and then shouldered the door down and immediately began attempts to put out the fire that was furiously burning in the apartment. But once the flames were under control, they were dumbfounded. The room was clearly on fire, but its source was entirely bizarre. While the walls, floor, and ceiling all appeared to have been scorched, the fire itself seemed to have come from the bundle of charred clothing flesh and bone in the center of the floor. The smoking remains of Aino Sari. They were at a loss to explain what happened. The fire had burned with such fury, yet little else in the room was touched. As absurd as it sounded, the only conclusion they could muster that it was simply a case of spontaneous human combustion. Considering all that, it's no wonder so many guests report experiencing paranormal activity in the home. The mansion has passed through a number of hands since the last of Pierce's heirs. In 2016, it was purchased and carefully restored as a sort of haunted bed and breakfast, which you can stay at yourself if you've got the nerve. They've had no lack of stories from guests, either. In fact, there aren't many areas of the mansion that haven't had reports of ghostly encounters. According to the owners, they have quite the cast of specters for you to meet if you spend the night. The ghosts of the Pierces, S.K., his first wife Susan, and youngest son Edward. And the boy's nanny, Maddie Cornwell, too. But also, the ghost of a man named David, who might just be the murderer of the woman in the Red Room. Not to mention, you might have the chance to meet the woman herself. Not enough spook for you? Wait, there's more. There are two children, a boy and a young girl, as well as the combustible Mr. Enosari himself, who's one of the most frequently reported sightings. And, because no good insanely haunted house is complete without them, a handful of dark and foreboding nameless entities that roam the blackness of the basement. If that seems like a lot of ghostly action, well, it is. And judging from the incredible amount of stories from visitors to the home, I'd say I've only shared with you a fraction of what's been experienced there. So if you're in the Gardener main area, and looking for a little haunted getaway, this might be the perfect place to spend a sleepless night. I've put a link in the show notes in case you want to check it out. Although be aware, they do make you sign a waiver before you sign in. To give you a taste, here's the warning from their website. Note, this attraction is not for the faint of heart. There is good possibility that you will witness paranormal activity. The entities in this mansion are extremely advanced and have demonstrated a unique ability to impose their will physically on guests, 
For this reason, a detailed injury waiver must be signed by each guest prior to experiencing the SK Haunted Victorian Mansion. Please do not behave in an antagonistic manner towards these entities at any time, as you may be placing yourself and other guests in danger. Can't say I've ever stayed at a bed and breakfast with that kind of a disclaimer up front. If you do stay, or if you've been to the S.K. Pierce Mansion before, I'd love to hear about it. Share it with us via email or on our social media. But, for now, I think it's time we checked out of the mansion and into some fiction. We have one story for you this evening, which comes to us from Christy Nogle. Christy Nogle is a member of the Horror Writers Association and Codex Writers Group. She teaches college composition and lives in Boise, Idaho, with her partner Jim and their dogs and cats. You can read her most recent and upcoming stories at Vesterian, Synth, an anthology of dark science fiction, and Flame Tree Publishing's American Gothic Anthology. You can read more of her work at christynogle.com or follow her on Twitter at christynogle. Links are in the show notes. Join me, children of the night, for Christy Nogle's The Best of Our Past, The Worst of Our Future, first published in Lady Churchill's Rosebud Wristlet 36 in 2017 and reprinted in Unnerving's Haunted Are These Houses anthology of gothic fiction in 2018. Visualize me, draped out in the basement trying to get cool because we're years away from having air conditioning. I'm lying on a tasteful antique chaise, ornate but understated too, something from an ancestor. Thrown all over that wonderful old piece are the shiny, loud, and lurid scraps of satin and lace. Acid green maybe, deep purple, animal print. It's a load of our delicates that mom took right out of the washer and draped to dry because she can't be bothered putting up a clothesline. Envision the whole big house like this, all the layers of our family's supposed glory days still here underneath the new stuff Mom and I are accumulating. I like all that trashy stuff myself. But still, there's a sense of corruption, delicious or foreboding, depending on how you look at it. Envision the whole neighborhood running this way, too. The whole town. The whole world. Why not? I'm 17 years old, lovely, and sweating. I have either finished a few-mile run, or I've been dancing. I am not in anything pretty. I have a sweatshirt with the sleeves and bottom cuff and neck cut off, gray sweatpants cut so short that the pockets hang out the bottom. Okay, looking down or back at it from a certain distance, I am wearing something so sexy it could be a Halloween costume. Maybe there is a male slightly off-limits who wanders through the basement. Some handsome second cousin or friend of the family who just arrived last night to stay for the summer. Imagine this in a movie. Maybe it would be the start to a horror film. Maybe NC-17. What wouldn't be in the movie are the smells. 
There is, of course, the smell you get when you forget to do anything about the cat litter for a busy couple weeks. There is my own reeking sweat and hair a week unwashed because I'm seeing if that will help it grow. Potatoes rotting in a corner, mom's opium and deodorant skids all over her piles of dirty clothes, some old incense. The combined odor of all this could be someone's dead lover rotting away in an unused attic room. Who knows? In spite of all of this in the air, or because of it, the male pauses. He looks down at me lying in the late morning light from the high, ivy-curtained basement window. He tells me I look horrid. We both smile. I wonder, in the movie, if it is he who would turn out to be a lycanthrope, or I who would be a ghost. In reality, he doesn't even pretend to flirt with me. He is Owen, the stepson of one of my uncles, a good-looking boy but with a spare twenty pounds on him. His dark eyebrows raise high in the middle. Where's your mom? I need to talk to her, he says. I wish I did not detect a whining tone. I'll go to the store for you. Hey, I say. Even take it if you want. I fish in my pocket for the rabbit's keys, twirl them for him. I don't drive, he says. He walks back up the stairs. I'm already sick to death of being still. The disappointment that started last night when we picked him up at the airport just crystallized with this conversation. I've been expecting an instant bond like when my cousin Stacy came last summer and we felt like sisters by the first week. We partied, went on road trips, camping trips. I expected the same with Owen, and remembering his beautiful face from when we were younger, I think I hoped for an even better summer. And this, all a little bit of a letdown, that's all. And so I want to flee the house for another couple hours. I go for another run. Mom's dressed and has her eyes made up big and dark, but her hair not yet straightened. Owen's dressed, but wet-headed. I'm wearing towels. Mom and I would normally yell from our rooms, but Owen has requested we all agree to speak in the same room from now on, and so we are standing awkwardly in the kitchen. He needed to talk to me. That's the point, she says, so you could drive him down to my work. I offered to drive him anywhere he wanted. I left my keys, I say. Jesus, she says. If we all had phones, we, I say. That's a good point, says Owen. I'm hating my summer. Last night, Owen finally came out with me for the first time instead of going out on his own. He didn't know anyone at the party. What has he been doing when he goes out? Apparently not meeting people. He started off all right in a group with a couple of my girlfriends he's met before. Seemed to be clicking. I was dancing and lost track of him. And then he was gone. And no one had seen where he went. I don't know when he got in. This morning, he's sitting in the kitchen using a clicker to teach the cats to high-five. One thing I like about Owen is the way he is with animals, how he makes them into intelligent creatures. In unison, they follow his movements. Now they tense, now they reach, and each touch one of his palms, at which instant he clicks the plastic device with his teeth. Now they watch his fingers dipping into the can of tuna. Its smell obliterates all other smells. I say, what do you want to do tonight? He says without turning to me, I assumed another house party. That's what there is to do here, right? He high-fives again, clicks, and offers treat. Mom and I look insane, walking together. 
We're both wearing size 4 jeans for the time being, though she fills hers out and I don't quite. She's gotten a haircut, all feathered, dark layers. We're in the grocery store looking for some new kind of yogurt, and I realize it's the first time we've been alone together all summer, and I say so. She says, I'd like to say that I would have said no if I'd known how he'd be, but there wasn't a choice. Why is he here anyway? Not to hang out with me. She starts to laugh. She shows me the grocery list, and at the bottom he's written, Higher-end decaf. He also suggested more filling foods, whatever that means, she says. I say, he's a little hard to get to know. She whispers, not quite. He's pouring his heart out to me every time you're not in the room. I don't think he has any real problems. They all seem like worries over wars or who's going to win the elections. He's all worried about the economy and shit like that. My mom and I, we like to laugh together. We're both cracking up now. She says, I'm like, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. I'm not a therapist, dude. She presses her lips together, already doubting that I'll be able to keep from saying something to him, that I'll call him pathetic or whatever. My mouth does get me in trouble a lot of the time. I say, I really like him. It's just it takes time to get close to some people. She stops and apparently buys it. She says, so, he comes to me the other day, all, people have been complaining about the lack of a police presence in the neighborhood, the old folks are scared about all the noises at night, and I'm like, honey, what old folks? And he names off a few. So he's been hanging out with old people? Apparently. She doesn't quite roll her eyes, but she's got this fantastic expression, and I'm reminded again of how beautiful her face has always been and how beautiful her attitude is, too. I give her a big hug right there. I hate my mom a lot of the time, but I love her all the way through. So, I'm finally making out with this sexy college wrestler I've had my eyes on for literally weeks. I've washed my hopeless hair and feel stripped of oils, all purified. The wrestler is just a couple inches shorter than me, and it hasn't seemed so much when I've been hanging out, but up close, his arms are tight like the spindles of our front staircase. I'm really into it, or trying to tell myself I'm into it. We're standing in the lawn out past all the people talking on the patio, in the dark of someone's parents' well-watered backyard. It's more of a barbecue party than a party party, but it's late and we're not doing anything wrong. So, who walks out far past the patio lights to see what's going on in the dark? Who steps back as though startled to the bone? I'm sloshing inside when we stumble home later. Owen helps me stand straight, and I help him. We have decided, for some unknown reason, that we're now friends. And we tell and retell the story of how he found me in the backyard kissing a little person. I thought they slipped something in my drink, he says. He's hot, I say, and I didn't see who you made out with. I don't think anyone there was my type, he says. Crowd a little young for you, I say. Not oblivious of the fact I'm betraying Mom's confidence, but unable to stop. I have no self-control. You can see him sort of deciding not to pounce on that. He says, yeah, I guess we always had extended family around. Uncles, grandparents. I would never have thought I'd miss them, but I do. And then I guess I look like a solid citizen just walking down the street. 
they call to me. He's stooping down to tie his shoe now and looks up at me, and there's something so sexy about his dark eyes. Bedroom eyes, I've heard them called. That's actually sweet, I say. So, why are you here? Really? He smiles down at his feet and says, Hiding from something? And that's all you need to know. Hiding from what? I can't say, he says. You can't make me. And he starts to walk away. Sounds like you're trying to make me make you. What do I do? Tickle you? Nothing you can say or do will ever make me tell, he says. He seems to be flirting, but who knows? And the way I think of it now, who cares? I'm feeling almost sober. I turn all my attention from Owen and back toward my own concerns, and we make the rest of the walk home in near silence. A door has started to open between us, and I don't know whether to force it or just leave it alone. With dread, shopping the next day, I see Mom reaching for a gigantic chub of graying ground beef. Cheeses go in the cart, breads, chips. I do not say a word. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We're speeding towards some secret swimming hole with the sun and the wind drying us out. Me and Owen and a couple of girls in the back of the pickup, the wrestler and a couple of his buddies up front. Owen is crouched in the corner of the bed and not speaking to anyone. I feel awkward in a lime bikini and shorty shorts because the girls are all suited up in drab hiking gear. I have flip-flops on. They say it's quite the walk. They say my abs are amazing. It's one hell of a walk over lava rock and through scratchy weeds, enough that we are all sweating by the time we see water. The little wrestler holds my hand and flashes this chiseled smile. When the girls strip down to suits, I'm gaping at their wide shoulders and rock-solid thighs, but he's all over me, hanging around my neck. Owen is back a ways, I think, but he never shows. We splash around for a while. One of the buddies leaves the water and pulls a pipe from his shoe, and the wrestler's like, none of that. I feel like it's partly maybe that he's not supposed to, but it's also that he wants a reason for the two of us to go off somewhere, which we start to do, but then I say I better check on Owen. 
Won't he come back with me? Nah, he says. He's squinting into the sun, running his sharp, perfect teeth along his bottom lip. I feel him let go of me right then, making the judgment that I am too much trouble, and I don't mind. The truth is that something has come to me right then, an idea or a force. All the way back, I have my eyes on my flip-flops where I feel the wet thong starting to blister between my toes. I keep imagining I'll find Owen along the trail, maybe making friends with a ground squirrel, but he's in the back of the truck, same as I left him. He sees me coming back. He stands and drops down and is coming to me. Owen is cool and soft as a peach, inside and out. His tongue is cool and sweet. There's the one kiss, and after that we sit in the shade until the group returns, not talking. He runs a finger along my lifeline. Both girls and one of the buddies crowd into the front with the wrestler, and the last buddy who didn't get in the cab quick enough, the one with the weed, says, Damn! and gets in the back. He has a beautiful body and a mean, stubbed face. He glares at me all the way back and mouths something at me when Owen isn't looking. He puts both hands out in a gesture of, What the hell? Now Owen and I are secret summer lovers, or almost, and home life is impossibly changed. He looks like a king in pajama pants and one of Mom's pre-weight-loss Terry robes, chest and belly pooching through the robe's V. I look anywhere else, afraid that Mom will see my longing. She's making tacos and wants me in the kitchen to help. Since when do I ever help? But all she wants is gossip. Oh, and then my lovely brother calls, which you know how I like that, and he makes it out like we're living in a slum. Owen doesn't feel safe. When? Last week. I think it might be different now, I say. I think he's coming to terms. Over dinner, Mom is on, standing and gesturing. She's sharing all about her boyfriend, who thinks it's getting serious. He wants to sleep over at our house. I told him I didn't want to give you kids the wrong idea. So then he thinks I'm scheming for a proposal. I can see his mind working. She says, tapping her temple. I can see her not thinking about the fact that she's filling up a second plate of dinner. Ridiculous, I think. She could never be married. I think it would be great for you, Owen says. I barely notice that Ivory filled my plate, and I'm eating so quickly I can't add to the conversation. Owen stands behind partially opened blinds. There are dog walkers, more dog walkers, the girl from up the street who treats her little sisters like dolls. Then there's a good-looking kid about 14 on a skateboard. He's talking loudly on the phone and drinking a bottle of microbrew. Another bottle sticks out the deep back pocket of his jeans. The kid looks pleased. Owen more pleased. See, he says. He's having fun. Anyway, you drink, I say. I did drink, he says, to keep up with you. But we're done with that now aren't we? He moves behind me to hold me around the waist. He is all moist and breathy. He hasn't quite touched me yet. All but. I tell him about the wrestler's buddy smoking weed and a few other things I've seen to tell him this is no big deal. People like to have fun is all, and then I have to convince him not to do something about it. Later, he deflates, saying, I don't know what I think I'm going to do about it. Not like I can call the cops. 
This takes some time to think about because A, these don't seem like things anyone would consider calling the cops for, and B, I've been assuming that Owen would call the cops any time he had an opportunity. That has been my fear all summer, that he'd call the cops on one of the neighbor kids. That or get in a fight. Somehow I thought he'd punch someone one of these days. But now, he's saying he can't call the cops, can't do anything about anything. Why am I not asking him what he means by that? Owen and I go out for big sodas and come home to an open front door. We walk into open cabinets in the kitchen. Owen is striding through the house. He hits his hip on the porch railing and bounces like he's dodging a blow. Then he's bounding around the corner, huffing around the block to see if he can catch the perpetrator. When he gets back, he is so angry he punches the air. I laugh at him. What am I going to do? Punch a wall? You know what a pain it is to fix drywall? You know how many bones you break if it isn't drywall? He thumps it. This is lathe and plaster. It might have been me who left the door unlocked. I turn 18 on an afternoon in the middle of summer. To celebrate, I go for a run. I know I am a young and spoiled 18, never having been challenged at anything. Take the summer off, work a year, and then school. That's still the plan. The idea is that something else might capture me. Trade school, or maybe I'll really enjoy my work, or whatever. I wonder if when mom was growing up, she had a feeling of endless horizons, or if she realized she was going to work at the bank and keep living with her family until all of them were dead or gone away. I'm shaking and exhausted by the end. Still, I shower and go shopping with mom, this time for clothes, though we don't take anything. She will not buy a size 8, and cannot now fit into anything smaller. The sizes have changed. It feels like all the best was in the past. Why don't the cats like me anymore? I ask Owen. They stand in the doorway, watching us cuddle in the basement because it's too hot to be anywhere else. My head rests on Owen's belly. He lifts my face to kiss it. He is hurt that I was away all day. He doesn't like to leave the house now. He finally opens up why he's here. He tells it badly, and I do not follow it at all, but it's something about the thing he is hiding from. He and his real dad used to be close, but now he's deathly afraid to see him. He betrayed his dad in some way I don't understand, and now he's paranoid that the dad will take revenge, or that the dad is going to hurt himself, or has. He can't get over this feeling like the dad or something is waiting in the backyard. The thing he was hiding from was his dad, then? Yes, and no. No, he settles on. When we were riding in the back of the truck, do I remember that day? Of course I do. That was when we first kissed. While we were driving to the place, this spooked feeling came over him, this feeling of terror in the middle of the afternoon, because his dad, or this thing, had a power. There isn't anyone else who can have power over Owen because he has the power, too. Will he need to prove it? Owen is bawling by now. Try to move. You can't move, can you? He says. His face is red and wet. I am sure I can move, but do not move. Because I'm willing it, he says. He cries over me and kisses my face some more. I tell myself I can move, but don't want to. He tells some more about the gratitude and the surprise he felt that day when I came down the trail toward him. He tells me the story over and over.
Owen says there are things afoot. I believe him. I have seen people crouching in our backyard who scatter as I approach the door. No one has come into the house since that one time, but they're becoming bolder in the yard and in the street. Owen makes us a big breakfast and lunch. Then Mom makes dinner every night. She seems so far away. She keeps asking me things that I don't quite hear or understand. She seems to be asking for advice, which Owen gives her, and she frowns and asks me again, and again he is the one who answers. The wrestler's buddy comes with a couple of my girlfriends. They want to know why I won't step outside. Owen is taking a shower. I can't talk for long. When Owen comes out, he's pacing and checking the doors because he thinks he heard someone. Because I can't tell him he's right and who it was, I have to let him think the worst. Look, quick, I say, holding the blinds open. Crotch rockets race past side by side, and when they've passed, there comes a topless Suzuki samurai filled with kids shooting off bottle rockets. One of the kids falls right out of the back when it takes air on a traffic bump, but it reverses and he climbs back in. I keep calling Owen, but he's somewhere deep in the house. Older ladies slouch along in leopard print nighties. A group of men stand smoking from a clear pipe in the open, right under our tree. I squint because they remind me of the uncles who moved away long ago. I know they'll all scatter as Owen approaches. I saw someone squat down there, I say when he arrives. I point at the front steps. For a moment, he doesn't understand. And then he does. Did you hose it off? He says. He does not wipe his nose, and the snot and tears are slick on his lips when I kiss him. Mom keeps talking about the wedding. I cannot hear her well. We finish a practice cake flavored with artificial strawberry. Owen says she says she's more optimistic about the future than she's ever been before. In the bathroom, preparing for bed, I look at myself truthfully in the mirror. The hair is finally growing, abs gone or almost gone. There is a defined line down my midriff, but below the navel the stomach plumps out away from the muscle. The breasts push out in two directions like they did when they were first starting. The entire effect reminds me of the nude Marilyn, before she was Marilyn. I rub on handfuls of lotion and use a puff to dust on scented talcum. In a red satin robe that is missing the tie, I walk past Owen's room on the way to mine. Maybe tonight he will come to me. Mom is gone. Owen says she moved into her fiancé's house, and that we'll have to take over the upkeep here. Maybe he can get his stepdad to help us out for a few months, help him through night school or whatever, or Owen will just start work. It doesn't matter. When I ask how he's going to leave the house, he says he will do it for me. He gives me a brave look. I want to tell him there's no point being brave. Whatever he was hiding from, it already found us. But I can't say much more than those pleasurable mmm sounds you say when you have some syrup in your mouth. I can only coo. Uncles and their wives have arrived and are staying in the room upstairs. When Owen's one arrived, I could not tell him from the others. His stance was tight when he placed his hand on Owen's shoulder. The blurry woman beside him leaned in. They murmured together and disappeared upstairs with the others. When Stacy arrives, Owen has to tell me who she is. Co-workers and in-laws arrive in cars, and seniors from down the street arrive with scooters and walkers. 
Flesh-colored metal chairs sit in rows on the lawn. In my room, my arms are lifted above my head, a pink sack dress pulled on, and a crown of ivy placed on my head. My hair is tendrilled and praised by Stacy. My mother appears in a dress, all busy with roses appliqued on mesh over her deep cleavage, satin ribbons laced up the sides of both bodice and sleeves. She has hair metal hair for the wedding. I can feel her hands on me that cannot hear her words or see her face. There is a writhing sensation in my chest. I can't see anyone's face throughout the ceremony. I walk up the aisle and stand with what must be a stupid expression. Then it is over, and we go right into reception activities. I can't hear the speeches. People try to help me eat, but I can't. Then the wedding couple is dancing and Owen comes toward me, and I can see his beautiful face in high definition. We're dancing. I think my feet must be on his shoes. He whispers that our secret love is not secret anymore, that all the people are smiling and wishing us well. The wedding couple and all guests have gone home, and I seem to be coming awake. In the bathroom mirror, I see the line down my stomach is gone. Flesh pushes out in breast-like curves above and below the navel and on my sides. I rub on lotion and dust on powder before returning to the sack dress. I hope that tonight he will come to me. But when I lie down on my bed, a vision plays of the day we went swimming. I rub at the space between my toes where a blister started long ago. It calls to mind something Owen told me about rats and cats and cat ladies, how badly toxoplasmosis wants to be in a cat, so when it gets into some other animal, it makes that animal want to be close to cats. Could a parasite like that be inside me, pulling me close to Owen? I rise to turn the lock. Back in bed, I pull the foot up and realize I am afraid of what I'll see. The end of a sinister worm, some new body part growing, but the skin is smooth and lovely as the rest of me. Still, the vision is so clear it cannot be imagination. I look down at myself from a bird's height, me laughing with the others, all of us picking our way down the path to the water, entering the water, splashing. I see the scene from that height, and then suddenly... I look through my eyes at my flip-flops as the feet make their way back to the truck, look up to Owen standing, Owen placing his hands on the side of the truck bed and boosting his body over, and coming to me. The doorknob moves. He taps. Are you asleep? He whispers. I've been thinking about that tonight. The desire to rise and open the door comes, but I do not do it. I say, why did you say you couldn't go to the police that time? I think maybe he's gone away. Finally, he says, It's not that I couldn't. It's just best not for me to be noticed, you know? Because of this thing after you, I say. Because of that, and because of your power. I know you don't believe, he says. He rattles the knob again. Could you let me in? I need you to prove it to me, I say. I've already done that, he says. Make me come to the door. That's what you said you could do, right? He says, I'm doing it. I'm doing it right now. With that whine I used to notice. But I do not move. I sit until I'm satisfied that he cannot do it. 
The thing in me has power yet, which is why, when I open my window, I see people crouched and leaning in toward the house. But I keep my eyes on my feet. I step right through a man who squats by the foundation. The people can lurch and faint, which they do, but they cannot touch me. I walk through them. The ones in the distance grow dimmer and dissipate, and I recognize the street I've known and walked for all my life. There are still people here and there, but none of them scare me. Anyone who might meet me here is a friend. I don't know if I'm going to the house of a friend, or if I'm trying to spot my mom's car parked in front of wherever she lives now. I'm only walking, and then running. At first, I think I will sweat it out. I will starve it out. But I feel the thing panic as it realizes the space opening up between it and Owen. It tries to force me back with visions of cars coming toward me. I see them for what they are. I run through them. I run forward into a drop-off it projects before my eyes. My feet keep hitting street, though below me is only a chasm. A whirring sound starts in my ears, like they're going to pop, and it speaks to me. It was a mistake to bring you into this, it says. Or as I now understand, they say... We apologize. We hoped only to recover before taking Owen. We wanted it to be nice when it happened. It can still happen. We were depleted, coming from so far away. We stayed quiet. We did not know we could cause you any harm. In fact, we haven't harmed you. Please, turn back. It can still happen the nice way. And then there are pictures of Owen like his life flashing before my eyes. I have no way of knowing for sure, but I think that one of them may be his father, and if I had a phone and could look it up, I bet I'd find that his father recently passed away. In June, maybe? It was the thing that sent them out looking for us, or for Owen. They need to go along with that other thing, or he'll not know how to use its power. They'll stay with him and advise him all his life and then passed down to his son or daughter, which is sweet, if you think about it. I almost stop right then, for the truth of it is, when your body is less than firm, a certain nauseating jiggle comes with each impact, not to mention the pain in shins and chest that come from running after a couple months of inertia. It would be easier to stop, but I want out. It takes two more miles to fully peel from me. The pain is not exceptional. It's something like pulling a wax strip off your leg. When it is gone, I jog another quarter mile to be sure, and then I stop and heave. I am outside town by now, but I do not yet turn back. It must have taken a piece of me when it lifted, because as I continue out of town, passing from gas stations to orchards, I am also seeing the street I just passed from a slow bird's-eye view. I see the subdivisions and the darkened rows of businesses closed for the night, the intersection with its open bars and people having their fun outside them, the senior center, the park, and then the neighborhood where I've always lived, and finally, my tall old house. I see Owen pacing out into the yard, clearly still trying to pull up the courage to leave the front gate, when it finds him and begins to settle on him at last. He screams and claws at the skin of his shoulders as it settles. I can't feel his pain at first, but then I do, 
all the pain and regret of the thing you've wished against coming down on you unexpected and you with no defense, like in a dream. I feel both his panicked, violent struggle and the regret from all of them that it has to be this way. I walk no further than the freeway on-ramp before turning back. The walk home is slow and painful, and when I finally enter the house, I find it empty. I don't even bother to look for Owen. Once his struggle was over, he simply left the yard. I feel it must be all my fault, but can't say why that is. With no mother or lover near, no beautiful body anymore, with pain in my heart and all through my muscles, I climb into bed and cry myself to sleep. The part of me taken was equal, I think, to the part of his father or grandfather or great-grandmother that still live in him. Maybe that part of me will come live on when most of Owen is gone. For now, it allows me to come into his life. I see his face when he looks into mirrors, and I see some of what he's doing. He does the best he can, considering. He's still afraid almost all of the time, still preoccupied with law and order. He's still a friend of animals. They won't come near him now, but he still loves them. He tries, difficult as the thing makes things for him. He's still terrified and has no one to trust. It took some time for me to realize that the part of me it took will let me hover back over scenes from yesterday. I can enter old drawing rooms and live out times with his ancestors. I don't do that often because these people aren't really anything to me. They might have been more to me if things had gone differently. Instead, I go back to some of the sweet times from our summer, the scene I revisit the most. I think it attracts me because I missed it at the time. Mom's wedding, in the backyard with her brothers and Stacy, all the others. I see their faces when I go back. I hear the toasts. One uncle wishes, May the best of your yesterdays be the worst of your tomorrows. And Mom holds her hand over her mouth. The new husband is there. He's handsome, and both of them are crying with joy. I hover over the dancers, and especially Owen and me, held so close together. That was Christy Nogles, The Best of Our Past, The Worst of Our Future, as read by Corinne Bachot. Corinne is a non-binary actor, herbalist, and witch living in the Los Angeles area with their two cats. When they're not acting, into a microphone or otherwise, one can usually find them foraging for medicine or creating herbal skin care over at Sugar Black Rose Apothecary, or just trying, and failing, to be witty to anyone who will listen. Thank you, Corinne. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. If you haven't already, we'd love it if you could support us over on Patreon or via PayPal on our website. Tales to Terrify is free to listen to, 
but it isn't free to produce, bringing you quality stories week after week as a labor of love and terror for all of us. And a small donation goes a long way. Go to patreon.com slash tales to terrify or donate via PayPal through the link near the bottom of our homepage. Also, like us or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Reviews help keep us on the charts so we can worm our way into the ears of new listeners. Our show is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Julia Zellman, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with theme music by Diane Severson. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Join us again next week as we creep into your dreams with more Tales to Terrify. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.